You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. We are starting the new year by reading the Proverbs together as a church and spending a few weeks just looking at some of the major themes in the Proverbs. And today, as you heard read, we're looking at what the Proverbs say about laziness and diligence or about the sluggard and the diligent. And it's funny how these things line up because, as you know, we're in the middle of the great flu apocalypse that has descended upon our city. If you don't have the flu, you're going to get it soon. And so I, I think I have it. I've been sick all week. Um, but I've had these, like, verses rattling around in my head. So there are two kinds of sick people, right? There's, there's the group that when they're sick, they don't admit it. They just feel like they have responsibilities and things to do, and they just sort of power through it. And then there's another group of sick people that feel like just the slightest little sniffle is just cause to watch, like, a season or two of shows that day. All right. I am in the second group. I'm a terrible sick person. I can't tell you how many times this week I have wanted to just like take a nap or watch a movie. And I know those are reasonable things to do when you're sick. But again, I've had these like proverbs rattling around in my, in my head. Verses like, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? Love not sleep, lest poverty come upon you. It's hard to take a nap with that stuff in your head. So in a very practical way, I've been, I've been motivated and helped by the Proverbs this week uh, to resist the lure of escape and to just get after it in my work. And I think that's how uh, the Proverbs work. I mean, I know that seems like a really small thing, but, but I think this is how the Proverbs make us wise. They get in us. And they get in our conscience. And so that as we encounter all the little things of everyday life, we learn to navigate them according to these principles. We learn to navigate those little things with wisdom. Now, everybody wants wisdom for the big things. Should I take this job? Should I marry this person? Should I invest in this opportunity? Uh, Options are at an all-time high, which means the demand for wisdom is at an all-time high. But the Proverbs tell us over and over that if if you want to be wise in the big things, then first... You've got to be diligent in the little things. The sluggard neglects the little things and is surprised when the big things come undone. Uh, Proverbs 20 says, The sluggard does not plow in the autumn, yet he will seek a harvest and have nothing. So here's a guy who doesn't plant anything, but shows up at harvest time. He's like, what's the deal? It's harvest time. Where's the harvest? Uh, In our day, this would be like the person who never invests anything, and then they retire, and they're like, where's my retirement money? It doesn't make any sense. The diligent, on the other hand, apply themselves to the little things, and they become the kind of people who know what to do with the big things. They sow in season, and they reap a a harvest. Uh, The wisdom of the harvest is all throughout the Proverbs. In fact, it's, it's woven into the fabric of the universe. You can't escape it. This is just how life in our world works because God made it that way. Paul said it this way, you reap what you sow. You can't get away from that because God won't be mocked. To put it another way, you will never be who you're not becoming. When I was in college, the guy that discipled me all through college used to say that to me all the time. Will, 
you'll never be who you're not becoming. Because I think he saw in me some potential. I was kind of this gangly, well, it's the same way I am now. Um, but he didn't want me to neglect the little things in life. He didn't want me to squander what gifts God had given me. He didn't want me to be deceived about how life works. He wanted me to be a godly, wise man. And the reality for me then is the same as it is for us now. You will never be who you're not becoming. My aim today is just to get that idea in us, in our conscience, so that we might be very practically motivated and helped to become diligent, wise people. To do that, I just want to sort of consider the, what the Proverbs say about the sluggard and the diligent. Uh, we'll look at the peril of the sluggard. We'll spend most of our time there because the Proverbs seem to want us to learn from the negative example in this case. Uh, but then we'll also look at the prosperity of the diligent and how we can do that. There are three poems about the sluggard. You heard two of them read. The, the poems are in Proverbs 6, Proverbs 24, and Proverbs 26. We're going to look at all of them. Uh, but let's start with the one in Proverbs 24, verse 30. Let me read it again. This is one of the poems about the sluggard. In this poem, a wise man is passing by the field, and the caretaker of the field or the vineyard is a sluggard. It's been passed down to him. And when he walks by, the, the caretaker's asleep. And so he's like, huh. So he looks around, and he wants to see what he can learn from this situation. I pass by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns, the ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it, I looked and received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So what does the wise sage take in? What does he see here? Well, verse 31, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles. The wall that was around the vineyard to protect it was, had been torn down. Uh, he sees a picture of a, of a neglected field. It's simple. If you don't pull up the weeds in the spring, then all kinds of weeds and nettles, which are like little thorns, are going to grow up. That's just how it works. The imagery here is of a, of a hostile creation that is overwhelming this man's vineyard and it is sort of marching toward him to overtake the sluggard as he sleeps. It's pretty powerful imagery because if you think about uh, Genesis 1, where did it all begin? Well, it began in a garden. God made Adam and Eve and he put them in a garden and their job, their work was to work it and to keep it, to cultivate the land. And so just notice that work begins in creation. Work is not a result of the fall. However, work is dramatically impacted by the fall. Uh, When Adam and Eve sin, when they disobey and rebel against God, sin enters the world and has consequences. And one of the consequences is in Genesis 3, God says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. So Adam and Eve had the same calling, the same job. It was to cultivate the land. It would just be really hard now because the ground would fight back. It would produce thorns and thistles. And that's what we see here in Proverbs 24. Thorns and thistles. It's a graphic depiction of of what happens to the slugger. The sin of laziness overtakes him. Overwhelms him and leads to his ruin. 
Verse 34 makes the point more emphatically. An armed robber is coming upon him. (laughs) Again, the imagery is, is really powerful. Jesus said the devil is like a thief who comes to kill and steal and destroy. And so the peril of the sluggard is financial, social, personal, and spiritual ruin. This is woven into the universe. If you sow sluggardness, you will reap ruin. In verse 32, the wise sage tells us that he saw, he considered, he looked. All these words mean he, he, didn't, he did more than just look at it, he thought about it. He, he pondered the meaning of all this. He's trying to like figure out what lies underneath all of this chaos and clutter and ruin. Like, What's the cause of this? And then in verse 33 and 34, he gives us his reflection. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. What's the cause of this great catastrophe? Little things. Little things. Verse 33 should actually be in quotes. This is what the sluggard says to himself. There's work to do, but the sluggard says to himself... A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. You see, there's all kinds of planning, there's all kinds of work to be done, but, but first the sluggard just needs a little me time, he'll get to that later. You see, laziness hardly ever just outright says no. What laziness usually says is just not now. First, a little this. Of course, no one thing feels like that big of a deal. Like a little nap never hurt anybody. You know, some of you are taking a little nap right now. That's okay. <laughs> the, the warning is about the, the habit of relaxing, of napping when you should be awake. If you nap in here every week, there will be long-term consequences. There just will. And that's what he's trying to say. The sluggard only thinks about the moment at hand. He doesn't see how all of his little decisions pile up over time and eventually overwhelm him. Uh, Derek Kidner, I love this quote, he says, he deceives himself by the smallness of his surrenders. He deceives himself by the smallness of his surrenders. Can I just say something about church, since that's where we are? Um, This isn't a guilt trip. I don't think guilt changes anybody, so don't take it that way. This is just, just some wisdom that I've observed over the last 20 years of doing this. Uh, And and it's in Hebrews as well, so I've got that going for me. All right, so Hebrews says, let's not neglect meeting here together like this. And if you're here, you can feel great about yourself right now because you're you're here, right? You didn't neglect it today. But why does Hebrews say that? Why does it say we not neglect? Why should we be diligent about being here? Well, we should be diligent about being here for lots of reasons, but the main one being that God is here. I know God's everywhere, but God is uniquely here. When, when God's people gather for worship, I'm just telling you, this is the way that he's ordained it. He attends the gathering of his people. He attends their fellowship so that they mutually edify one another. When we sing songs, he inhabits our praise. When we open the word of God together, the spirit of God attends that and illuminates the glories of the gospel to us in ways that we just can't get it when we catch the podcast. When we take the communion meal together, God attends it and nourishes us with his grace. 
And it never feels like all of that is happening on any given week. It's not something you feel on any given week. It's something you sow every week and you reap later. But we have so many little things that get in the way. A little home improvement, a little kids' sports, a little travel. And before you know it, you have neglected so much grace and power that God offers freely to his people. Let us not neglect diligence in being together like this. I want us to be a wise and fruitful church, but we will never be who we're not becoming. Uh, I have been sobered this week by the reality of the little things. Can't escape it, so I've been thinking about it. I don't think of myself as an entirely lazy person. Right? I, don't, I don't look at my life and just think, man, you're a sluggard. And I'm guessing you probably don't either. You don't think of yourself as, an, you're, you know, you're an industrious people. And so what I want us to do today is just sort of open our, our mind a little bit to the possibility that though we're not entirely lazy, uh, laziness does have a way of creeping into our lives in ways that maybe we're not aware of. Uh, the poem in chapter 26, I think, gives us some good examples. Flip over to Proverbs 26, verse 16 or 13. Here's just a few ways that laziness kind of creeps in. Maybe the ways that we haven't thought about. Verse 13. This is one of my favorite verses in Proverbs. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, there's a lion in the street. That's why he's not going to work that day. All right, so imagine tomorrow morning you wake up, you call your boss, and you tell her, hey, I can't come into work today. She assumes you have the flu because everybody does. And you're like, no, 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 I feel fine. That's not the issue. She's like, well, then what's the issue? Why, why can't you come in? And you say, well, there's a lion on the streets. I'll, I'll die if I go out there. Now, as ridiculous as that would sound to your boss, it sounded just as ridiculous in their time. There were no lions roaming their streets either. See, one of the ways that laziness creeps into our life is, is through irrational fears that keep us from facing reality. Uh, you see this like in finances all the time. People just sort of let their finances get away from them. They don't budget. They don't really pay attention to it. They don't track it. They just sort of get what they want when they want it, spend more than they make. And, and they know deep down that it's a mess, but they just don't want to look at it. Don't want to go to the financial planner. Don't want to get help from their community. Don't want to even like log on to the bank and see what's going on on there. Why? Be- because they have this irrational fear about it somehow. If they look at it, it's going to kill them. When just the opposite is true. No, looking at it is the first step toward <laughs> bringing health to it. Verse 14. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. And so the sluggard turns over like he's getting up, but he's not. He's just getting comfortable on the other side. You know how that goes? I don't know how you feel about your bed, but I freaking love my bed. It, <laughs> no lie. It is the most comfortable place that I have. And if life was just about comfort, I would never get out of it. I, I love it. And that's the point here, is that the sluggard loves comfort. There's all kinds of opportunities before him. There's all kinds of things that God is calling him to do, prodding him to do. But he won't do it because it's outside his comfort zone. And I wonder if there are things in your life, that just ways that God is calling you to like serve somebody or be served, to ask for help. Little things. 
that you just can't do because it just feels uncomfortable. Verse 15. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. <laughs> this is great. Dude puts his... I don't know why he's eating with his hand to begin with, but he puts his hand in the bowl. I picture oatmeal for some reason. He puts it in there, and then he's like, man, I can't be bringing my hand back up to my mouth. <laughs> Brian Regan has a joke about, when I was in college, I loved this stuff called goober. It was like peanut butter and jelly in the same jar. Oh, I love that stuff. Brian's like, I want to know the guy who invented that. Like, I can't be opening two jars and stuff. Right? That, that's what's going on here. The sluggard starts things, but he doesn't finish. He gets into stuff, but then like when there's any kind of difficulty or resistance, he just loses steam. And so his life is just cluttered with all kinds of unfinished stuff. Can you identify with that? Is there unfinished stuff cluttering your life? And, and if there is, maybe what is one thing right now that you think God might be telling you to finish, to get diligent about? Because I know how it is. When there's lots of things, it's totally overwhelming. You just, you just want to roll over. God is saying, wake up. Let's get to work on something. Verse 16. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. And so pride keeps the sluggard from doing what he needs to do. And uh, here, let me just, here's one way I think this plays out sometimes for people like us. Uh, we tend to really focus on the things that we're good at, which creates blind spots in our lives. Uh, we let success in one area of our life deceive us about how we're doing in all the other areas of our lives. Right, so, you know, our garden, we've got this one part of our garden that looks really awesome, and we just kind of keep focusing on that, and so we don't see all the weeds growing up around us. And here's how you can kind of get at that. Here's how you can begin to understand maybe what your blind spots are. Think about that thing in your life that you're really good at. I mean, where there's success, that you care a lot about. Think, get that thing. And then ask yourself the question, what in my life is getting neglected because of that thing? Right? So some of you are just killing it at work. You're doing awesome. And so you feel really good about yourself, but weeds are growing up in your relationships and in your family. Weeds because you've been neglecting it. Some of you are really awesome at family. I mean, family is everything, and you're really into it. But there are weeds growing up in your ability to engage with the church and engage with the city around you because you're so myopically focused on your family. Some of you are just really, really awesome at hobbies, and everything in your life stinks other than that. Because <laughs> that's what it takes to be really good at a hobby. Everything else has to stink. I, uh, I was reading a sermon that Ray Ortland wrote on one of these passages. And so he, he summarizes or paraphrases Proverbs 24, and it's just so good. Uh, I'm just going to read it to you. This is what he says. I met a man. I watched his life unfold. It seemed to me his life was like a neglected farm, infested with habits and decisions that destroyed his potential. He made room in his soul his schedule, his finances. All around his life, he allowed little surrenders that eventually made a big impact. But he never took decisive steps to change. He thought about it, but he kept putting it off until change would be easier. 
The mood of the moment made up his mind for him. I saw this unfold. And as I thought about it, I was sobered. I realized his whole life was ruined by one tiny compromise after another, one little self-indulgence after another, all of which combined together to decide his future for him. He never chose to ruin himself, but he wouldn't choose to get tough on himself. So his wife got fed up with him, his kids lost their respect for him, his creditors came after him, his body gave out on him, his character collapsed when he needed the strength the most, and here's what I learned. I can wreck my life inch by inch if I refuse to see the glory of Jesus in every moment and do the next right thing even when it's hard. But if I lie to myself enough times, my collapse will come with inescapable force. Where have you let weeds grow up in your life? Like, is the Lord bringing some little thing to mind right now that you need to pay attention to? And are you willing to face that reality? Jesus can help us with this because he knows us. Think about the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, those those well-meaning but weak people just like us, the disciples. He tells them, hey, sit here and pray for a little bit. I'm going to go over here and pray. And, and they don't. They fall asleep like three times. And he comes back and says, could you not? I mean, why are you falling asleep? Why, so why are they falling asleep? Because it's hard. Prayer's hard. Staying awake at night is hard. Work is hard. Life is hard because it's thorns and thistles. And Jesus knows that. In fact, he didn't abandon these guys. He rebuked them for sure. But he didn't abandon them. You know what he did? He took upon himself a crown of thorns in their place. The curse that we deserve because of sin fell upon him so that we might be blessed. (laughs) There's forgiveness for the sluggards, for you and me. He wants to help us. One of the ways he helps us is by turning our attention to the diligent. So we've, we've considered the peril of the sluggard. Let's, let's talk about the prosperity of the diligent. Uh, Proverbs 6 is where we'll be for this. Proverbs 6, uh, I think verse 6. In this poem, the, the wise man is calling out to the sluggard and he's saying, listen, I want you to go now look at something and learn, just like I looked at your field and learned. And what does he tell him to go look at? An ant. An ant? It's wonderfully ironic because the, the sluggard's life has come to ruin because of all his little things. And now the wise man is, is making him learn from a very little thing, from this tiny little insect, an ant. Consider the ways of the ant and become wise, he says. Verse 7, what are the ways of the ant? without having any chief officer or ruler. So diligent people are, by nature, they're sort of self-starters. They're internally motivated. They don't often have to be told what to do because they know what needs to happen and they take the initiative to do the next thing. Sluggards have to be forced into labor, either by a deadline or by a boss or by some consequence that is finally just bad enough. Not so with the diligent. Verse 8, 
She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. And so diligent people plan well. They have the ability with foresight to look ahead, to delay gratification, and to plan. Verse 9. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? And so in light of what we're learning from the ant and what the picture of diligence looks like, he's just saying, repent. This is an invitation to repent. He's warning us that we should not be so indecisive and so aloof and so hesitant with the Lord when we should be alert and responsive to him. Wake up. See. Care. Act. Something else about the ant. She's not simply busy. Like, busyness is not the same thing as diligence. The ant knows when to work, and the ant knows when to stop working. Right? So, so diligence isn't just hard work and drivenness. It's smart work. It's strategic work. That's a helpful distinction for us because we have prided ourselves on just being really busy, and we might not be diligent at all. The ant's work is purposeful, and the main purpose of her work is for the good of the colony. Now, this is something that surprised me as I read through the Proverbs. One of the things that comes to the surface about the diligent is that their prosperity is primarily for the benefit of the community. The diligent are generous. They work really hard for the good of others. Uh, Proverbs 21 says, All day long a sluggard craves and craves. Right, Meaning he, he'll never be satisfied. But the righteous gives and does not hold back. So the sluggard craves and craves, but the righteous, the diligent, the wise, give and give. If you know that God cares about you, if you trust him with your very life, if you know he'll provide for you, then you have tremendous freedom to work really hard for the good of others. And that is so different than our culture of self-promotion. That's not what diligence is about. Diligence is about stewardship for the good of the community. Look, there are, um, there are lots of big things out there. Big decisions, big opportunities, big moments. But our lives do not primarily consist of the big things. Our lives are primarily shaped by the many, many, many little things. Laziness in the little things leads to ruin. Diligence in the little things leads to life. Now, how can we be diligent in the little things? And and I need to say this because, you know, there are some, some passages that comfort us. And there's some passages that sort of challenge us. This is definitely in the latter category. And when you're challenged, especially on something like diligence, the temptation is just to like walk out of here and start working hard, but forget that like Jesus is with you. And so how do we, how do we really be biblically diligent in the little things? And the answer to that is by grounding our effort in the gospel. And so the, the path of diligence, if you'll picture it that way, is beset on either side by two ditches. On one side of the road that we may fall into the ditch of performance. And that is, we we start to measure our 
ourselves, our lives, by our work, by our diligence, by our productivity. And so our sense of our acceptance before God, our our sense of our acceptance in the community, it kind of gets all tied up in our performance. And so if things are going well, uh, we boast. We feel really good about ourselves. But if things aren't going well, we despair about our worth. But that's not the gospel. That's not biblical diligence. The gospel is what we read earlier in our uh, absolution. Ephesians 2. By grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not by works. So that no one should boast. The other ditch we may fall into is the neglect of work. So on one hand, it's sort of the idolatry of work and performance. But on the other hand, it's the neglect of work. And this shows up in weird ways. It, theologically, it kind of shows up in a misunderstanding or a misapplication of the sovereignty of God. Somehow, we get these irrational thoughts in our mind that, well, you know, God's God. going to do what he's going to do. And so he doesn't, he's not concerned with all the little stuff in my life. He's not, he's not paying attention to that. He's not worried about that. But that's not the gospel either. The next verse in Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we should walk in them. See, this is the good news. God saves sluggards. And he changes them. He turns them into diligent, fruitful laborers in his kingdom. And it's by his grace. Let's thank him for it. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.